As a matter of fact, doctors love to have me because the human blockhead, which is where you drive a nail into your head, and the sword swallow are fascinating to them. And the insurance companies. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 57 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today comes from Chicago. Tom, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great. Tom, please introduce yourself to our audience. Well, my name is Tom Britton, and I'm the co-creator, writer, MC, and performer in the Flying Cat Circus, which is a modern circus variation that tours colleges and what are called small halls or 300-seat theaters throughout the North American continent and the Bahamas. And how did you get those cats to fly? Well, you throw them hard enough and the suckers have no choice. Uh, no, our, our name is, is purely, uh, it's sort of intentionally inscrutable because our show is, is rather like describing Blue Man Group 10 years ago. It takes a thousand words to describe something that in 10 years I think people will just call a flying cat type show. At least if I do my job, they will. And so we wanted a name that sounded uh, like a Mr. Show, which is a, one of my favorite sketch comedy shows, or Monty Python's Flying Circus, or The Kids in the Hall. Since a lot of our inspiration comes from those type of shows more than Ringling Brothers, we wanted a name that just sounded bizarre and didn't tell you anything about our show at all. But no cats are injured during the process of performing the Flying Cat Circus. No, we don't use animals other than humans at all. Matter of fact, that's one of the things we, we don't like about the modern circus is that it's, it's not modern at all. It is still a dog and pony show in an era when zoos exist. In the 1860s, bringing an elephant and a zebra to a town was a great event because I couldn't go see them anywhere else. I would have to go to Africa or, or Asia. Nowadays, why are you bringing a zebra? There's a zebra in every medium-sized city in this country. I don't need that anymore. Bring the trapeze, bring the fire eaters, bring the sword swallowers. That's what I don't have around every single corner from, from sea to shining sea. Way back when, they used to not be able to see those animals, but if you've got uh, National Geographic on your cable system, you know what a zebra looks like. Yeah, and you can go to, you know, like I said, in any, any medium-sized city, there are zebras somewhere in your city. You just go see them, and they cost you $3, and you can go see, you know, the zoo, uh, petting zoo even. Uh, or on street corners, depending on what neighborhood. Yeah, it, you know, if, if they riot, <laughs> they may get out and run through your town. <laughs> hey, I've got to ask you this question. Uh, how much trust is involved with your act? And, and the reason I ask that question is because on your promotional video, you're sawing an apple in half with a chainsaw while somebody else is holding the apple in their mouth. And that person is a volunteer from the, from the audience. Wow. In that case, it is absolute pure trust, unfounded and based on nothing. Or drunkenness. Well, we're at colleges and theaters, so believe it or not, rarely do we get a drunk. That's good news. Colleges, so they may be high, but they're not, they're not drunk. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, 
I think that is really a matter of, well, two things. First of all, that act is halfway through our show. So at that point in the show, you've been sitting in a room with me for 40 minutes and watching us do death-defying things in a professional and, and, and you know, obviously show business manner. Um, and then, two, you really assume that you're not going to be hurt. I mean, why would I get you out of a seat onto a theater stage and do something that might actually be dangerous? That's a huge risk as far as litigation and as far as morally and everything else. Yeah, key word is assume. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely an assumption. I mean, I could be a complete, you know, screw-up on that one bit. Or, or you could be loaded to the gills. This is true. Well, that's what the 40 minutes kind of establishes, is you see me doing other complex acts, and you start to, as a performer, have faith in me. You go, well, this guy seems to know what he's doing. Uh, the words that are coming out of his mouth are coming out without hesitation. He's obviously not making this up off the top of his head. He's got, you know, a huge amount of equipment around him. So, obviously, whoever's backing him has some money to throw away on lights and sound and backdrops, etc. So, I think there's a little bit of logic to it. And then, yeah, there is a bit of a leap of faith. And I Have you ever had anybody flinch? Oh, yes, yes. I, I had one girl when we first started um, who had a phobia about chainsaws. But I'm one of those people, by the way, who has phobias about chainsaws, especially after seeing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. She literally bolted in a quarter of a second. It was, it was almost like a cartoon where the apple was still spinning in the air. <laughs> I, I cranked the chainsaw. The cycle couldn't hit more than twice. I mean, it just went, buck, 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 and she knew what that was because I do it behind their head because it's funnier to watch their face when they hear and recognize a chainsaw. She recognized it faster than anyone I've ever seen in my life. And she didn't pause, she didn't look to confirm what she'd heard. What if it was a weed whacker or, or a motorbike? Or, no, she heard that two-cycle engine turn over and bolted out of just, boom, gone. And I didn't see her after the show either. We're in a theater, so once you get off the stage, I'm blinded by the lights. I can't see past the first six feet anyway. And afterwards, we're signing autographs and we, we answer questions, blah, blah, blah. And I, I never saw her again. To this day, I have no idea if she left the theater, if she went back to her seat, if she went to the car, if she... Uh, ran till she hit water. I have no idea what happened. And you just you just put the chainsaw. I mean, it's funnier. It's funnier than what I was gonna do. <laughs> you pack it up and you go. And now, <laughs> and now here's Leatherface. And they think that's the bit. They think that's it. That I somehow cued her to do it. It was really funny. And moving on. Have you ever been injured performing an act on stage? Never performing, but I have been injured in rehearsal. Tell me a story about that. Well, you get injured a lot because that's where you try things. That's also where you learn. For example, right now I'm learning trapeze. Now I have no interest in putting trapeze on stage. Uh, that's not really what our show's about, but I do like circus arts. Um, and so just in the process of learning a trapeze, you have to build strength. And I'm not a big guy. I'm a tall guy, but I'm not a muscular guy. So for me, the strength acts are a particular challenge, and you've got to try it to know if you're ready or not. Uh, fortunately, there's harnesses and spotters and safety precautions, but every now and then you just got to go for it. And just like a football player or a gymnast, probably more like a gymnast, I'm going to occasionally take a header. Uh, but way, way, way less than a guy who skateboards, um, way less than a wrestler. On, the, on a junior high level, I get injured less than baseball players um, because what I do is a lot of it just appears to be like I balance a running chainsaw on my chin. But if you practice balancing shopping carts and barbecue grills and paddles and juggling clubs and knives on your chin, a chainsaw is not that much different than a large stick. There's a bit of torque to it, and there's a little twist to it, but it's not that different. It looks a lot more dangerous 
But the difference between a flaming barbecue grill and an unlit barbecue grill is fire doesn't weigh anything. It just looks nicer when it's lit. Um, But kids don't try this at home. No, absolutely not. That's why you have neighbors. (laughs) Tell me this. What have you tried that you've been hurt on or something that just didn't work that uh, we'll never see in the act? Huh. Something I can't. And you said, let's not ever try that again. No, nothing. Because almost everything I do is about 800 years old. So someone somewhere did it long enough to make it a headlining piece. For example, I do glass walking, glass jumping, and my face in broken beer bottles with a volunteer standing on the other side of my head. Um, that's 2,000 years old. Uh, older, actually. While the pyramids were being built, there were entertainers busking amongst the soldiers who were governing the slaves building the pyramids by jumping on broken glass. Uh, fakir, uh, Indian term for street performer. So when I read about this stuff and decide to do it, it's like juggling. I'm not inventing anything new. I, I'm really sort of reinventing the wheel. That's really what the circus is about. It, it's, there's nothing really new under the sun with the circus. Whereas I balance a barbecue grill on my chin, in China 2,500 years ago, they would have balanced a bowl of fire on a stick. They just didn't have barbecue grills. It was invented in Haiti. Um, We hadn't gotten over here yet. And so I don't really get injured that much doing anything in the show. I've hurt myself learning sword swallowing. I hurt myself learning fire eating. And I cut myself badly learning to jump on broken glass. But this is all in the privacy of my own home. I don't think I could in good conscience put anything on stage that wasn't ready. Not because of the act, because of all the polish around it. My light cues, my sound cues, my script, my costuming, uh, my props. Just by time that's ready, I'm ready. Are there like forums or idea banks or, or something that uh, you go to that you can learn new tricks? Or how do you find new stuff? I mean, there, there has to be some sort of a old clan or something, right? Uh, not, not really, though. Most sideshow performers, which is technically what I do as a variation of sideshow, most sideshow performers know each other. Um, at least we're one degree removed. Uh, I have probably heard of every sideshow performer working in America, uh, and have probably exchanged an email with 90% of them, because it's just not a big community. But we don't really exchange ideas. Uh, we more just bond the way stand-up comedians do, because I can't write your act and you can't write my act. Uh, we really have to do it ourselves. However, I am a, an amateur scholar, particularly of vaudeville history, so I have a lot of books. And in reading them just for fun, this is how I actually got into the circus, was I was just juggling at like 15, 16 years old and got into history, uh, particularly colonial era, but then also I got into showbiz history and and vaudeville. And I would read about something like firewalking because I was reading about the life of a performer who did it. And I thought, wow, I'd like to try that, and I did. And then after a while I had a repertoire of of tricks, if you will, and my, my friends, my peer groups encouraged me, do it on stage. So I went to punk rock clubs, because that's the music I was into. And my friends were in bands, and I played a little bit of music. And in between bands, I would do vaudeville stuff, a straitjacket escape or fire-eating or sword-swallowing, and then gradually got to where I was headlining the clubs. I did it exactly like a punk rock band. Um, So it really starts with books and that interest. And so that's how I go back in mine again when I need a new act. I go back to the books. Well, to be fair, I'm always going to the books for fun. And I just keep notes in my head about, I might want to try that one day. And when somebody says, hey, I need a new act, I go, oh, you know what you should try? Have you ever heard of a guy who swallowed live frogs and then brought them back up? And they go, no, how, did you, how, what's the, you know, how, do, how do you do it? And I'd explain. 
and then we start rehearsing. Well, that, that was something I was going to ask you. Is there an unwritten code somewhere amongst magicians that you don't tell the secrets of how an act is done to the general public? I don't. I assume so, but I'm not a magician. Nothing we do is a trick. Ah. Um, and that's the distinction between sideshow and an illusion. Gotcha. What I'm swallowing does not collapse. It doesn't go behind my head. I've done it on x-ray for doctor's conventions. As a matter of fact, doctors love to have me because the human blockhead, which is where you drive a nail into your head, and the sword swallow are fascinating to them. And the insurance companies. Yes, I can imagine, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little different because eating fire, there is no magic chemical. You put it in your mouth, and there's a knack to it. It's like walking on a high wire or uh, what else could I equate it to? I mean, that, that's really wa- typing. It's a knack. I've learned to control the fumes to prevent myself from getting burned. Partially trial and error, partially training. I did have a very experienced fire eater. He had over 55 ex- years experience fire eating. Teach me. Have you ever seen Chris Angel's program on A&E? Yes, I have. Tell me, how does he walk... I have seen on a I've seen clips of it on YouTube. Okay. People are always sending me them. Uh, how, how does he walk down buildings? I don't know. That's a magic trick. Uh, he's very forthright about it. He says anything you think is an illusion is an illusion. He mixes, however, the hook hanging, the suspension, that's real. So he mixes some real sideshow stuff in, but not that much. Everything I've seen on YouTube, I, can't, I haven't seen a single thing that's sideshow. I've seen him floating. I guess the more dramatic stuff is his magic tricks. Um, the floating thing, I saw him levitating yeah. in a bar. I saw him floating a girl on the streets, like hypnotizing her and floating her around. Yeah, and I've seen that, too, and it's like, okay, I, I know the laws of physics applies to me and him equally, so how is he able to do it? I, he has a really good team of magicians creating tricks with him, and he himself is a very good and studied magician. If you ever hear him in interviews, uh, the man takes a serious pride in his art. And he's also a little bit into sideshow, because that hook, the suspension thing he did, the hanging from hooks, which I only heard of, but that's, you can just do that. It just, it just takes a little concentration and focus. It's like walking on hot coals. But it doesn't need to be gimmicked. You know, the hooks can really go into his flesh and really lift him up, and he can hang there for six days. And it's been done for 8,000 years. As a matter of fact, the Navajo uh, have a, a sun ritual. I, it's not called that, though. It's called the sun dance or something. And that's how you become a man, is they put hooks through your uh, pectoral muscles, and uh, they hang a basket, and they drop stones in. And if you can do 13 stones, you're a man. Of course, you do more until you pass out. But that's part of the ritual. So that's, what, 10,000 years old? They don't have a written history. We don't know how old it is. Um, so he mixes the two together, which I think is a really neat uh, shtick. I think it's a really neat idea, because then you don't know what's real. What's the worst gig you ever played? Well, see, when I was starting out, I started so young that, I mean, I played my friend's birthday parties. You know, I was 13, 14 years old juggling. Uh, the worst, and, and, and it was a professional gig in that, that I got 20 bucks or 10 bucks, you know. Um, the parents paid me something. Uh, beyond that, we had a miscommunication. Um, somehow, my current agent, so this was only a couple of years ago, knows that we don't play festivals. We're playing our first festival this year. Well, what was supposed to be our first festival this year because we are a theater show. So, you know, you have to basically build a theater in order to have the show. There are lighting cues and sound cues. It doesn't work in a field in between bands. It's a different show, right? So we get booked for this Harley-Davidson convention, 
And I, I say, well, we don't do conventions. He goes, no, no, this is, I talked to the guys. You're going to be in the dealership. They're going to put up chairs. You'll have a stage. You'll have your lights. So you'll have a theater within the dealership. I said, oh, okay, that's fine. That sounds great. We get there, and someone has not communicated this. We get there, and they have a warehouse in the back with motorcycles in it, and we're supposed to just perform on the floor, the dirt floor. <laughs> there. No lights, no sound. Now, we bring our own sound and lights, but I'll be damned if I'm going to bring them out for a dirt floor. Uh, but, you know, backups, there's no, there's no wings to enter. There's no dressing rooms to change. You know, we've got character, a girl, she has to be able to make up, fix her hair. You know, I'd like to at least run a comb through my hair if you don't mind. Well, they don't at the Harley dealership. Right, right. Well, they have a bathroom. They're very nice about it, but just no one has heard this. I said, well, isn't there supposed to be, this is what I was told, blah, blah, blah. And the poor person's like, I'm sorry, I have never heard this before. And I said, well, okay, well, then it's just a, you know, it's a screw-up. It happens. No big deal. We'll make the best of it. We'll do something. We, we can't do an hour show because a lot of it, the jokes require lighting changes. There's music. I, I, we can't do it, but we'll do something. So they're, at this point, they've got a tons of other stuff going on. You know, it's this huge 10,000-people convention. So, like, yeah, whatever you want to do, we understand. Somebody dropped the ball, probably on our end. No big deal. So everybody's very nice. So we go and we do about 30, 35 minutes of just kind of, just kind of jutsing around, just kind of, hey, look at it, you know, just screwing around, playing, um, goofing off. We're supposed to do a second show. And they said, you know what, that's probably the one at the dealership. That's probably what happened is there's two shows and we have two different dealerships. So maybe they know all about it and I didn't get the memo. Okay, cool. We go to the dealership. No, we're not at the dealership. We're on stage in front of 20,000 screaming drunk Ohio redneck Harley guys. And we're in between really crappy cover band number one and really crappy cover band clone number two. Not a single original song has been played on this stage. This is the exact wrong audience for theater. The, the guitarist from Warrant, an 80s hair band, is... Oh, I, I, I've got that album. Cover band. And that's who opens for us, is that guy. And then we're going to go up and do vaudeville. <laughs> right after Cherry Pie. Not even that. He's not even doing Warrant. He's doing, like, ACDC covers and, like, Rock You Like a Hurricane. Yeah, yeah. I wish it were of the quality of music that Warrant put out. This is not even Warrant level. So This is like, rock and roll, you pukes! So what do you do? I mean, you know, somebody somewhere screwed up royally, and I'm about to get thrown to the wolves, but it's nobody there. It's because they're all amateurs. They run a Harley dealership. I'm sure their Harley dealership is amazing because 20,000 people came to have party with them. So they're good at that. They're not good at show business. Late. That's why they're not in show business, right? Meanwhile, I've got to do something for these people. So you go out and you blow a couple of big fireballs, and you yell the F word, and you hang upside down into a straitjacket, and you yell the F word some more, and you do a couple of big fireballs, and you wave your hand, and you say good night, and you walk off stage. And now it's time for the puppet show. Oh, God, no, now it's time for another crappy bar band. <laughs> it's, but, it, yeah, it was, it was that kind of thing. So, I mean, even the worst gigs, really, at this point in my career, I just laugh. Because it's clearly, we communicate so clearly with clients about what our show is, what it's intended for, what it's like. We don't allow children at the show. Don't bring your 10-year-old to see our show. But number one, there's some mild language in it. Uh, we don't drop an F-bomb unless there's a bunch of screaming rednecks. But there is some language. It's written for a theater-going audience. More importantly, there's Shakespeare references. There's Dickensian references. Your kids aren't going to get the damn jokes. Leave them at home. We're also 25 bucks a seat, so you don't, we don't have children's tickets for a reason. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a show intended for adults. That's who we'd like to entertain. And we've had some confusion on that before because we use a cartoon for our graphic because we tour colleges. 
Yeah, and they're all saying, Mommy, I want to go see the circus with cats. Absolutely. And the word circus is absolutely in our name. And I understand, and we just, you know, we, we let the theater managers be aware of, you know, this is, this is in no way intended for kids. Uh, and we just bore them to death, quite honestly. You know, it's like taking your kids to see Hamlet. I mean, it's a theater show. And now for the final question, what are some of the perks to being able to perform sideshow stunts? Well, you, I guess you also you feel very rare. You know, when you, when you can eat fire, you're probably the only person at the party who can eat fire, which gives you a great conversation piece. And it, it's kind of neat when you're around people who are in show business, very few of them balance running chainsaws on their chin. And with the, with the flame, you can not only eat the hot dog, but you can cook it too. Absolutely. But I digress. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, no, it's fine. I, I think that's it. I think really it's a matter of, of it, it gives me an outlet. I think the, the, the sideshow stunts are actually secondary. I write. That's what I do. I write everything. It's just that most of what I write is not good, like novels and poetry. They're crap. They're horrible. I wouldn't show them to anyone, but I'm compelled to write them. The stuff I will show to people, the stuff I think is good enough to put in the public eye, is the stuff I write for the stage. And so juggling and sideshow arts and, and stunts and all this crazy stuff just became a tool with which to get my words and thoughts and feelings and jokes and personality onto a forum. It's just, for me, I preferred to take a bit of a shortcut when I was a kid. It's much harder to write stand-up comedy as a kid, 16 years old. It's very easy to do some juggling and a couple of jokes and get on stage. And from that crutch, it's now become a love. I started to appreciate the art behind it. So I think almost looking at it from what perks the stunts give me is kind of the cart driving the horse. It's actually the biggest perk is that it gives me a medium in which to express my creative side. Does that make sense? Sure does. Makes sense to me. Tom, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So fire away. Let me, I'm addicted to podcasts. Uh, have been since, the what, I guess about a year ago when iTunes 5 or whatever came out with them. What podcasts do you listen to? What's in your podcatcher? Right now, the only one that I've got on my iPod is Meet the Press. I have others that I listen to on my computer. I've been listening to Smart Bomb Radio. I've listened to um, the Small World Podcast, uh, Wonderful World of Danny I've been listening to lately. Uh, but the only one I've got on my iPod right now is Meet the Press, and that's because I use it as I'm mowing the lawn. That's kind of the Mow the Lawn podcast. How about for yourself? Which ones do you listen to? I've got, oh, wow, I'm all over the board. Uh, Penn Gillette, the Penn Radio podcast. So a lot of it's the repurposed stuff. NPR, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, as far as the independent stuff, I've got Punky. Uh, it's a punk rock radio show out of England. Uh, what else do I have that's independent on there? Oh, Geek Brief. She's, uh, she's out of Chicago as well. Um, I think that's all that I've currently. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, the President's Weekly Radio Address the parody of President Bush's radio address. No, I've seen that on iTunes. Is that very good? Yeah, it's like two minutes long, and it's a really he's a good impersonator, first of all. He really does sound very much like our president. But then also, whoever's writing it is very funny. Oh, and Ask a Ninja, which is a hilarious video podcast. Uh, that one's just absolutely brilliant. What's question number two? Question number two. Everyone I know who works in radio is a tech geek. What is your favorite tech 
techno toy or car toy or you're either a gearhead or a tech head if you work in radio. What's your favorite toy that you own right now? Right now my favorite toy is the iPod. I, I love the iPod just because it has my complete music collection right there and you know I'm able to, to use it at a moment's notice. But for years while I was in the radio business, it was the stereo. You know, just the plain old two-channel stereo. And I, at one time, had this gigabuck stereo with the amps and the preamps and the Magna Planner speakers and huge subwoofer, and I don't use it anymore because I'm using the iPod. Here's kind of a follow-up for that. Every radio jock I know has a billion albums. How many albums do you estimate you own? Well, I know that I have 3,800 songs just on the iPod, and that's about half the collection. Um, I have 70 two, albums, 60, 70 albums. Yeah, no, that's like, um, yeah. Uh, let, let's put it this way: I have two 400-disc CD changers full, and I still have CDs yet to put in them. Wow. Okay. Plus. I still have a box of cassettes, plus I still have a box of albums that I've uh, been recently been putting on mini-disc so I can then put them onto uh, CD. So I've got, a other, I got a completely another set of music and songs that you can't find on CD that I listen to, and I've, I've got some of those downloaded onto the iPod, too. I've got a lot of jazz on vinyl that I can't find on CD anywhere. Let me ask you this. What's your favorite? What's what's an album you couldn't do without? Uh, anything on the Miles Davis, John Coltrane era. Uh, though really, any of those albums. Uh, I think there's two or three. Um, or any best of from that era. And yet you played punk rock clubs. I know. You know, musicians have big ears. Uh, if you ever talk to a guy who's into hip-hop, ask him about punk rock or heavy metal. He'll know it. If, if he's a producer. You know, if it's someone who's in a rap act, in a rap band, if you will, they listen to death metal. And you talk to a death metal guy, he'll know about hip-hop. Musicians listen to everything. Alice Cooper's lead guitarist has a jazz band. Danzig's lead guitarist has a jazz band. Flava Flav plays 12 instruments. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre how, how broad. I guess the same thing in radio. Um, but anybody who's an amateur or a professional musician tends to listen to tons and tons of music. I got one more question for you, though. If you were in a circus, what, what would you do? What would be your act? I'd be the ringleader. You think you want to be the, ring, the ringleader? Yeah. The top hat? You know, nowadays you've got to sing. They all open with a song, you know. Well, that'll clear out the place pretty quickly. <laughs> Hey, t hey, folks, it's time to go home. Okay. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. And the place is... Found the key of H. That's right. Key of H, and sometimes J kicks in there every once in a while. <laughs> Tom, do you want to tell about your show and how people can find out more about the Flying Cat Circus and maybe how they could book an act, too? Oh, sure, yeah. Everything you need to know is at flyingcatcircus.com. Uh, there's video, there's uh, 
links to our YouTube pages so you can watch other videos if you're not in the mood. There's links to our MySpace page and every, everything you ever wanted to know. Our schedule's up there, so if you'd like to catch us uh, starting in about mid-October through mid-November, we'll be touring the northeast corner of the U.S. And then this time next year, we've got a six-week run at a Chicago theater, and I don't know what in between yet. We're actually in discussions for that at the moment. So it all goes up on FlyingCatCircus.com. From what I've seen, it looks like a tremendously fun show, and I wish you all the luck in the world to being successful on your show. Thank you so much. Tom, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You're the Guest. Hey, no, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Music by Farewell Redemption, up after the break. Drum and bass, ambient, hip-hop, industrial, solipsistic nation, featuring the best of all genres of electronic music. Hi, my name is Chance. Enter to win an iPod Nano by getting my new CD, 11 through 15, at mynameischance.com. Please now continue to listen to You Are. You are the guest. To me, can't you see? <laughs> and to wrap up our show today, we've got a special guest, Jordan from Farewell Redemption, all the way from Long Island. Jordan, how are you? Good, how you doing, bro? Wonderful. Tell us about the band and how you got started. Bill, Farewell Redemption has been together since uh, October 2004. Um, both of us have had uh, you know, a lot of musical experience in various other groups and situations uh, before we met each other, meaning Christina and myself. Um, at the time, I had uh, a number of musical tracks recorded and uh, you know, wanted something different from the situation that I was currently in, which, which was uh, you know, sort of ending first week, um, I had put out an ad on a local music site and, uh, you know, searching for a female singer, and Christina responded. Um, we met up, uh, we, you know, reviewed the tracks together and decided to start working together. Shortly after meeting, about a week after we actually met, we were in the studio um, together, putting the vocals down on the tracks, and then from then on, we continued recording music together. And now, here we are, about to release uh, a full-length album. It should be about 10 songs long. Uh, and that that should be out. That should be out pretty soon. Who wrote the music and who wrote the lyrics? Well, I, I focus on the musical composition, um, and Christina focuses on the, the lyrics and the vocal melodies. And then together, we you know the whole thing ultimately is a collaborative effort. In the end, each track is really truly a collaborative effort. Um, but, uh, you know, I really do focus on the musical composition, the guitars and the bass and the, and the drums and whatnot, while Christina focuses on the lyrics and the vocal melodies. And in the end, we put them all together, and that's how we finish the tracks up. The two tracks we're going to play are Release Me and Get By. What can you tell me about those two songs? Get By is actually, uh, I think that was the second or third track. It was the first track for which I recorded music. I think it was the second or third track we actually completed, uh, you know, just to give you a timeline there. Um, that track actually has been doing very well on the Podtick uh, Music Network and just on the Internet in general on the various websites to which we have it posted. Uh, Release Me is actually a little bit later as far as, uh, you know, I guess writing-wise, as far as the writing timeline. It's a little bit heavier. Um, we were sort of going for a different type of sound with that, with that particular track. 
And while it is, it does stand out as being the heaviest track, probably on the album, uh, it definitely reflects the general style that we've come to, uh, you know, that we've come to, come to express and come, come to surround us. And if people like these two songs, where can they find out more about you and hear more tracks? Well, the, the best site is probably our Pure Volume site. We are on purevolume.com, and we do have uh, a MySpace page as well. Like, like everybody else these days, we do have a, a couple of MySpace pages. So if you wanted to check out some more tracks, you can go to purevolume.com slash farewellredemption, uh, or you can go to myspace.com slash farewellredemption. And we do, of course, have our own homepage, uh, farewellredemption.com, which will link you to, to more tracks and give you some more information about the band. Jordan, thanks for joining us. And now here's two tracks from Farewell Redemption. Here's Release Me and Get By. Thanks, Bill, for having us. We appreciate it.
like to be a guest it's real easy to find out how just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com and click be the guest for all the details that concludes this week's edition of you are the guest from the great city of fort dodge iowa i'm bill grady thanks for listening